you for joining me on this journey and welcome to episode 35 of Remembering Our Way Home. This week, our featured guest is daughter, granddaughter, and priestess of Oshun, Zakia Aduni Early. As an ancestral priest, Zakia takes us on a journey of what healing looks like in her family and the role her ancestors play in that process. Welcome to Remembering Our Way Home, a weekly podcast to inspire, enlighten, and empower listeners via personal testimonies, discussions, and interviews with featured individuals who have embraced the transformational and ancient practice of ancestral veneration. I just want to thank you for being with me this morning on remembering, remembering Our Way Home. My first question for you is, what do you think about when you hear the word ancestor? Um, when I think about the word ancestor, I think first and foremost, I, um, I think about all of those people that we lost in the Mayasa, you know, that, that didn't make it through the slave trade. That's always been the, that was always my kind of first connection with that word. And then I think about presently like my grandmother, you know, um, or, or these different women that helped to either pave the, the way or shape who I've become. So who are you becoming? Who are you becoming now? Um, I think with each passing day, I'm becoming more and more my grandmother, if I'm completely honest, you know. I see um, she transitioned in 2013, and it's funny because, like, there were a lot of things about her and about her ways that we used to question, right? And we say, oh, Grandma, why are you doing that? And my mother would say, you know, Mama, why, why are you doing that or blah, blah, blah. And so mm-hmm. as I start to, as I age, you know, I look at myself and I, I feel and I see my grandmother uh, welling up or, you know, there, I say things and I hear her voice and it, it, it's interesting because I feel like with each passing day, I become more and more that woman. You know, I see more and more of her in myself. Um, with each passing day, which is a good thing. Overall, I think that I am becoming um, a woman more resolute in who she is um, and more than ever more firmly rooted in um, in my own belief systems, but also um, in the belief systems of uh, my ancestors, you know, um, reconciling more firmly that um, the the African traditional systems, like they serve me in particular, I think more and more. So I'm becoming more firm and steadfast in those things with each with each day. I would say. Tell me more about your grandmother. Who who was she? Who was your grandmother? Tell me about her. Carrie Estella Eaton. Goodman Hendricks, and I say all of those names because she was born in Eaton. Um, she married 
a man that I, I we I've never known anything about, but her, that last name was Goodman, and the last man that she was married to was my mother's father, my paternal grandfather. His name was Lovell Devon Hendricks, um, and so she was a um, she was a complicated woman. Um, she was beautiful, 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 very dark skin woman, um, and just. Very, very smart, incredibly beautiful, but her existence was marred through terrible, um, terrible experiences with white supremacy and white racists. Um, and so she was, she, I think that those things led to her complexity, but at the core, um, she was a woman who was just, she loved her family, and, and she was always, she was a fierce defender of her loved ones. There was nothing that you could say or do once she had decided that she loved somebody. There was nothing that you could say or do against them. Um, to my mother's chagrin, she couldn't adequately punish me because my grandmother, you know, would stand against it or what have you, you know. So she was she was a very complicated woman. She had taken a lot of hard stances. Um, she was a barmaid, and, and it's, that word is even obsolete. So before mm-hmm. women were considered mm-hmm. bartenders, my grandmother was, she was bartending. She must have been a barmaid um, in, at the VFW for, like, 35 years. So like long before I was born, she had been working in bars and she had come across a lot of different people. And so she had this very keen insight, this very, um, really, really strong ability to read people. And so as a result, how she interacted with people was very direct. And, you know, we didn't understand it at the time because some people she would be so short with. It was like, oh, grandma, why are you being so mean? And she's like, mm-mm. I don't like them, you know, and I, I I didn't have a frame of reference for it. And now that I'm getting older, I'm like, oh, she saw that yes. long before we did, and she was just cutting them off at the beginning because she already saw it, That's you know. Right. <laughs> so it, it's Makes that sense. kind of thing, you know, where I look back at her life and it's like, oh, you know, I'm becoming my grandmother because I see people and I'm like, Mm-mm. no, thank you. Don't talk to me. <laughs> you know, but she That's she right. loved her family. Right. Sense. She loved her family, and she was not yes, about yes. to let dogma and other Absolutely. people's ideals or perceptions. She wasn't about to let those things um, shape her life. She was very much her own woman. How did you first become aware of this idea of your ancestors? What was your first encounter? Um, I think my very first encounter was through African Rites of Passage. Um, My mother, Mm -hmm. I was in an organization probably about 11 or 12 that was, um, they had an organization that was the youth arm of the Eastern Stars and the Masons. And we did all kinds of community projects and, you know, participated in all kinds of stuff. And so there was a, our, that organization was going to an NAACP Youth Council meeting. And that meeting was meeting was being held in the same building as um, an African Rites of Passage 
meeting was being held. And my mother snatched me out of the NAACP Youth Council meeting and dropped me into African Rites of Passage. So probably about, uh, probably about 11 or 12, uh, I was, wow. my mother dropped me in the African Rites of Passage. Um, and that was probably my earliest introduction to that thing because at the time I was still going to an all-girls Catholic school. And so um, much of my experience was, really being shaped by, well, I won't say my experience, but a lot of the information that I had been given or being fed was fed to me by white Catholics. And so when my mother saw an opportunity, she dropped me into African Rites of Passage immediately. And so probably like 11 or 12 was when I was first becoming aware of ancestors, and in particular my African ancestors. Wow. How has developing a relationship with your ancestors guided you on your life journey? Um, well, I will say that um, through my introduction to uh, African spirituality through um, her name is Ia Toki Okunwale. She is a, she was the elder who. She was the elder over the history club. I went to college at North Carolina A&T. So she was the elder over the history club, but she's also a Yoruba priest. Um, and I had a moment where things were just kind of crazy, and it was kind of like what could go wrong had. And so I, uh, I met with a college friend that I knew was a priest, and I really didn't know anything about the tradition or about priesthood, but I just knew I needed some help. So I went to a friend and I said, hey, you know, can you do, can you do a reading for me, whatever that was going to mean. And he directed me back to his godmother, which um, people knew her as Miss Toki. Uh, she, was, she worked as the, um, she was the assistant to the police chief for many, many years at A&T. Um, he directed me back to her. And she ended up taking me to have my first divination. And so that was kind of the beginning of my journey uh, into African spirituality. And as a result of that, uh, I kind of, I actually began the work of um, venerating and communicating with my ancestors from there. Um, and I don't know that history about Iolode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Iolode. Mm-hmm. Yes. She was yes. she was the goddaughter of um the Obawoja Osejiman, um Ibabatarun, who was the founder of Oyutunji African Village in South Carolina. Um Absolutely. and so yep, that was that was how we all kind of came to that's kind of how we all came to be a part of the tradition. So she was my um, first teacher, you know, she was my very first teacher and she was the one who um, actually helped to do the process of consecrating my ancestors so that I would have, um, it's a ritual that kind of feeds or gives power to that, to that thing so that um, the communication with, one's ancestors can 
be more direct and, and the way is open in a, in a very different way. That was my early introduction to um, actually working with or venerating my own ancestors. Similar, Zakia. Yeah, as, um, okay. as, a, as a student at Bennett College and um, mm-hmm. becoming, becoming um, pregnant in my junior year of college, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to learn more about my child's purpose. I wanted to right. find out, you know, about, yeah, about about um, its destiny. And so that was my first encounter with ELO Day and, and the rest is history. <laughs> right, right. And yeah. when you look at it, especially in Greensboro, she's responsible for mm-hmm. so many of us, you know. Absolutely. So many Absolutely. of us. And she, she does not. You rarely, you don't hear her talk about that thing, right? Absolutely. I think she's like 70, she's in her mid-70s now. Um, and it's funny how she has worked in our community for so long, but it's not something that she talks about, you know. But there's, I would, I would, I would venture to say you'll be hard-pressed to find anybody in Greensboro specifically who has had or done any ancestral work that did not go through her. Probably if you, you know, as more transplants maybe in the last five years, but there was a period where nobody, you know, all work was being done through her. She really, really was the um, guidepost for the majority of our community. She's invaluable, you know. How has developing a relationship with your ancestors impacted your relationships with your family? Has it gotten better? Has 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 it transformed? Tell me about that. A hundred percent. That that thing has absolutely been transformative, um, and on both sides of my family, you know, um, the my work with my ancestors um, in times of crisis, whether they did it or not, informed my own family's kind of crisis management and. And, and I'll give you an example. On my mother's side, we had something major go on. And so this is not my mother's belief system. This isn't what she does. But she called me in a panic, and she said, go to the ancestors. You go to the ancestors and you ask them, blah, blah, blah. There have been multiple times where my mother will say, honey, I need you to go to the ancestors and pray for me. I need you to call the ancestors and, and say X, Y, Z. You know what I mean? And so the very fact that while people in my family don't necessarily participate mm-hmm. in times of crisis, they have called me and asked me specifically because they know I'm an ancestral priest, hey, I need you to go ask the ancestors, blah, blah, blah. You know, <laughs> would you go say this prayer to the ancestors for blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And on my father's side, um, my my father, while he doesn't necessarily, um, he's a hard, fast Christian, but in terms of participating in ritual um, that needed to be done or... um, what have you, when I was collecting things, you know, because they know that I am the person that venerates and values my ancestors, 
they put things aside. You know, one of my uncles says, hey, I got this this thing that belonged to my grandfather, which would have been yeah. my great-grandfather. Mm-hmm. I want you to have it because I know that you'll take care of it. Or yeah. telling me stories about how my great-grandfather was a healer um, and how white people used to bring their families and their children to my great-grandfather and my great-aunts because they were root workers or they were medicine people, Um, you know, making sure that they sat down and told me those stories. Um, One, so that somebody who cared would record them, but also um, because they understood that I had a very, very, um, specific connection to our ancestors and that that thing mattered to me. And so it's been transformative, I think, in our relationships because mm-hmm. I wouldn't have had that information otherwise. You know what I mean? And I don't think that anybody else, I don't think that they spent the time giving it to anybody else, you know? So it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's changed my life in, in a myriad of ways and in, in the relationships in my family. Um, in just countless ways that I can't even begin to explain, you know. Um, it's allowed me to maintain my relationship with my grandmother, um, even though she's transitioned, which was a big deal because her her passing was a major, major blow to our family. It wasn't a surprise or anything, but she held a space that, no one could fill. And so there was like this vacuum, this hole in our lives. And so my work with the ancestors allowed her to remain in touch because she knew that, one, we would need it, but, two, that people would be receptive. You know, so if I call somebody and say, hey, Grandma said blah, 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 then they do or they say, you see what I'm saying? Because they know that this is what I, this is, something that I practice, this is something I believe, but also when I tell them what she said, they're like, oh, yeah, nobody would say that except grandma, you know, yeah. so it's allowed us to remain, it's, it's allowed her to remain close to us in a way that if I think about how when my father's mother passed, my mm-hmm. other grandmother, mm-hmm. I, wasn't, I wasn't a part of this thing then, I didn't do those things, and so there was just a vacuum, and yeah the ability for her to come to us and talk and communicate and do these different things, like that, that connection wasn't there. You know what I mean? So I can see a difference. So tell me about being a priestess. How, how does that feel? And how does that differ from, from, um, you know, just learning and taking care of yourself? Do you find yourself doing more work for people or yeah, overall, overall, what, what is it like being a priestess? And are you um, the ancestors? Or? I am. I'm a priest. I'm an I'm an ancestral priest as well as a priest of Ashun. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think I think that well, first and foremost, being a priest, you kind of what I have found to be true was that is that it is. It is a it is a heavy responsibility, mm-hmm. um, and one of my god brothers used to say, anybody who tells you that they want to be a priest shouldn't be a priest because the amount of 
sacrifice and work that is involved in that thing is thankless. And Iolode is a, a prime example of that. She poured into our community more than anybody who is not a blood relative that I can think of ever has. You know, she she has done so much for our community. And so, and that work is thankless because I don't think that she receives the credit or the respect or the honor um, tantamount or equivalent to the work that she has poured into many of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is, it, is, um, it is a labor of love. My priesthood in particular, um, I stick to what's needed. <laughs> I'm not, I am not the priest that is announcing my priesthood or seeking out students um, just because I understand the gravity of that thing and the responsibility to it. Um, I more so go where I'm needed in the moments that I've been needed in them. Um, it, it's just, it's an awesome responsibility. I can't, I can't stress that enough. Um, I am thankful that I was called in particular um, because what I've been able to do in my family, I think that that's probably been the most significant portion of my priesthood, being able to affect change in my family, having real conversations with my mother, with my uncles about like, hey, these are generational curses. We really need to be conscientious about making these changes. We've, we've, we can reflect and see that these things have happened for generations in our family. Let's not do that now. Let's not do that anymore. Let's choose to do something differently. Um, and so I think that I think that my priesthood um, has really, really meant a lot for my family, you know. And so that um, I think that is probably what is the most important. Um, I love it. I love it. There are people who are famous for being air quotes priests or what have you, and they they associate that thing with it. But the the reality of priesthood is that it is it is a sacrifice. It is a labor of love, but it's not something to play with. And so I really keep it mainly to my family. Um, there are some people outside of my family in my home that I've done work for. But um, I look at it as a tool for transforming the life of my family because when we're talking about, you know, ancestral work, like all of the world is great, but if you can't affect a change in the life of your family, what are you talking about? Like what are you doing? You know what I mean? Absolutely. You came through these Absolutely. people. That's right. You know, all of these things have happened along this path and in this way these people have moved things, you know, or made certain sacrifices so that you could be in this moment. So for me, my priesthood is a pledge. It is an obligation to my family that I will work. I will, I will offer my life as a mm. sacrifice to move through whatever we've come through or to help make changes so that our family continues in a different trajectory or down a different path. I come from people who were alcoholics, you know, so we have to stop that. 
<laughs> you know, and having that conversation. <laughs> right. No, but yeah. really having that conversation, like, you know Absolutely. what, listen, mm-hmm. so everybody's going to get a therapist. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? It's not going to be me. Everybody's going to get a therapist. <laughs> yeah, right. It's not right. going to be me. Every Well, well. But even understanding, so, like, if you have people in your family that have been alcoholics, mm-hmm. then why? Why were they alcoholics, number one? But number two, how do you deal with being the descendant or how did their alcoholism affect your life so that you don't do that again? How do we get better? If every generation has sacrificed and the idea is that we're each supposed to do better than the generation before. Well, how do you do that? Well, first you have to unpack what led to this. And there's black people. There's a sister. Her name is um, Dr. Joy DeGruy. She, uh, she wrote this book called Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome, and she talks about how the trauma of the ma'afa, the trauma of slavery has been passed down from generation to generation um, in our families, and so some of our pathologies are a direct result of those things and, and, and experiences with white supremacy, you know. And so those things, you know, where we look at, we're just now starting to talk about mental health, right, yeah. in the black community. And so looking back at how some of the things, oh, he was just a drunk. Was he just a drunk or was he drinking because he was dealing with the pain of some experience that altered his life in such a way that mm-hmm. he could not function yes. without drinking? Because Ooh. when we start to look at those kinds of things as illnesses that are the result of something else and how we have to work to heal our families so that we can go, be- go forward in a different direction, now we're talking about really, you know, doing the work with our ancestors. Because people like to, to use ancestral veneration and these, fla- you know, these flowery things, yes. but not about, like, real work in terms of healing tragedy and pain and mm. suffering and sickness. We don't have mm. to live that existence. That doesn't have to be our lives, but we do have to choose to do something different. And it starts with reevaluating what those things were. You know, Ooh, I love it. I so love that's it. so that's what ancestral work means to me. It means healing my family from the core on a spiritual level first. Recognizing, you know, what my grandfather suffered. He was an alcoholic, but he was an alcoholic because he was a brilliant man that white people took every opportunity to beat into submission. He was a man that, you know, at the University of Akron, they sat him down. He was, in, he was taking some kind of placement exam, and he scored so highly on the placement exam, they said that he had cheated. And they looked at all of the white people around him, and none of those white people had scored as highly as he did. So they forced him to take the exam again in a room by himself, and he did better the second time than he did the first. Wow. But – all of that intellect, all of that, mm. all of that ingeniousness did not yeah. translate into moving his family out of poverty. Mm. And think of how horrible or demoralizing that had to have been when you actually are the best and the brightest and the smartest, but you don't get to use that. Mm. 
to benefit your family. You can't translate that into improving the lives of the people that you love because of white supremacy, of all things. You know what I mean? So that, those are the kinds of things. When we start to unpack the truth of people's lives and look at, like, how these, these lives were very difficult, they were very painful. And so acknowledging it, doing work to um, reflect on their suffering and maybe have a different response so that we can be better, that's what, I'm trying to do, and that's what ancestral work and, and veneration means specifically for me or to me. I try to honor them by being a good person and being successful in life, like first yes. and foremost, right, because yes. they, I, I am because they are, right? Mm-hmm. They did and gave everything, and so I feel like my responsibility is to do as much as I can to go as far as I'm able to um, in life as a result of that. It does not, it is not lost on me that I specifically come from them. Um, I am the only girl child born to the only girl child of the seventh son of the seventh, of seven sons. So my great-great-grandfather was the seventh son of seven sons. My great-grandfather was the seventh son of seven sons. And then he had a girl child. His girl child had a girl child. Her girl child had a girl child. And so first and foremost, I recognized the lineage that I come from, and I never, never discount that. Um, And so I do a lot of things just to make sure that I'm honoring all of their work, you know, sending me to private school, sending me to college, sending me to A&T. Those things are important. Um, I think about what they like, you know. I've started to recognize my cravings for certain things are directly related to them. I love fried okra, right? So when I get a craving for something like fried okra or something like fried chicken gizzards, so that's my grandmother all day. Those are things that she made. So when I feel those things or when I have a desire for those things, I make sure to um, put those things out for them, right? because those are things that she, they loved. You know, my father's mother, pardon me, my paternal grandmother loved coffee. Mm-hmm. She loved coffee. She had coffee every day. <laughs> she liked black coffee with sugar. So making sure that I brew a cup of coffee, put black coffee with sugar out for her. Sometimes I may cook things, you know, fried pork chops and cabbage with macaroni and cheese. You know, those are things that they like. Um, both of my yeah. grandmothers like roses, you know, mm-hmm. so one of them like yellow roses, one of them like red roses. Yes, so I go, I put roses <laughs> out. You know, my grandfather smoked cigarettes, so I've got a pack of cigarettes that I sit on the shrine. I have an uncle who dips snuff, so I got mm-hmm. skull, you know. So yeah. those are the kinds of things. Or um, it might be as simple as, I might put on my grandmother's pearls, yeah. you know, 
when I'm dressing up because that was the thing. She didn't like, she didn't, she hated, loathed and detested long dresses on young women. Loathed hmm. and detested. When I was a little girl, she hemmed everything I owned three inches above my knee. So when I'm putting on something, I may put on a, a cute short dress and a pair of heels because I know that that's something that she would like. You know, when I'm putting on my makeup, I tell people all the time, like when I'm putting on my makeup, she was known for having, always having, her face was always flawless. And so um, putting on my makeup, I always tell my mother, I said, these brushes are, that is grandma's hand touching these brushes. Because that was the thing that she did. You know what I mean? She was absolutely yeah. just super, super feminine, you know, perfume, pretty yeah. face, hair done, those kinds of things. Um, yeah. But she was also, she was sharp. You could cross her if you wanted to. And, <laughs> you know, you get what you deserve. <laughs> so I try, to, I try to be somebody that they would be proud of to say what belonged to them, and, and I honored them just in, in those, you know, in different ways, I should say. You know, some of it is very ritualized, and some of it is just acknowledging who they were and, you know, carrying those things forward and doing those things so that I never forget, you know, uh, so that their memory lives on. My father's mother was a bootlegger. So we have these women who very much either ran establishments or were the focal points of establishments. And so my father's mother was a bootlegger and my mother's mother was a barmaid. And so there there was this crazy dichotomy, if you will, right, because they were both, you know, one more so than the other, um, very – Christian, conservative, valued women, but they still very much were in this other world and lived this other life and mm-hmm. took, they did not, they didn't take no mess from nobody, you know, and it's funny because, like, they gambled at my, my grandmother's house, my, my paternal grandmother's house, they gambled, they ran numbers. Um, you know, her house was the after-hours spot, right? Mm-hmm. But as children, we were not allowed to even touch cards because mm-hmm. it was associated with gambling. Um, mm-hmm. We didn't – all the alcohol in the world was there and available. None of us were drinking. None of us drank. We didn't sneak drinks. We didn't try to drink. Like, it was never it – was, it was there all the time. It never crossed our minds to drink or to take any of the alcohol, you know. And it was, it was always out. It was always available. And so, but despite the fact that they were gambling and all of these things, church on Sunday, bright and early, right? you know, <laughs> bright and early, and they got us up early and did our hair before church, Mm-hmm. You know, so my hair was getting braided, you know, six thirty, seven o'clock every Sunday morning. Wow. My dress was out and pressed. My shoes were ready. It didn't matter how late the night went Saturday night. It didn't matter if, if the last person didn't leave the house until 6 o'clock Sunday morning from gambling the night before. We were in church on Sunday morning. 
right. you know, that was that was a thing. You know, my on my maternal grandmother's side, Saturday night at the DFW, she may not get home until 3, 4 in the morning. She was still going to go to church on Sunday. Yeah. Very much still still going to church. I've spoke a lot about my grandmothers, but my grandfathers were, were pivotal in particular because even though his mother would lay this, set this elaborate table and go through all of these changes for dinner, mm-hmm. my grandfather would make the pastor sit and wait for my mother and my uncle to finish eating. And he said he didn't work all week so that some man could come into his home and eat before wow. his children. Mm-hmm. He said nobody would come in his house and eat at his table before his children ate. And so the pastor could come for dinner, sure, but he wouldn't eat before my mother and my uncle ate. That's powerful. I love it. Uh, His father, my great-grandfather, sent both of his sisters through college in the 30s and 40s. So my great-grandfather's sisters, my great, I guess, Mm great-aunts, both had master's degrees in the 30s and 40s, and it was because he said, Women have to be educated so that they don't live their lives at the mercy of men. He said men wow. could always go out and get a job on the sweat of their brow or their back, but women need to be educated so that they will always be able to take care of themselves and their children and they wouldn't have to stay with some man who was abusing them or who was hurting them. Powerful stuff. Yeah. 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 You got yeah. some work to do, sis. <laughs> right? Yeah. Did you ever, on this path, um, come to a place where you second-guessed, you know, being as though, you know, you were brought up in Catholicism? Did you ever get to a point where you second-guessed, you know, your spiritual work with your ancestors and kind of doubted yourself? Mm-hmm. I think okay. having moments that are crises of faith are the things that reaffirm um, what it is that you're doing. Um, mm-hmm. Because they even talk about... Uh, in the story of Christ, they even talk about what is it, the Garden of Gethsemane, where Christ, you know, cries out and asks God, why have you forsaken me? I think that is, that is just a part of having faith. When things are going poorly, you know, you kind of look and say, am I, is this really, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? You know, um, in those low moments, I've absolutely had, um, I've absolutely had those moments that I guess you would consider crises of faith. Um, and then, you know, I say a prayer or I, you know, I call my grandmothers in particular because I was just so close to them. I'm always talking to my grandmothers. And in those moments, they 100% reaffirm my belief. They come to me, they talk to me, they send me something, they do something, something happens. Or I'll have a conversation with my mother and she's like, you know, your grandmother, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, (laughs) yep, that was it. You know, I mean, but for me, those moments of doubt or question are the things that deepen and strengthen and reaffirm my faith because when I have a question and then it's answered or something um, validates that I'm on the right path and it kind of, it strengthens that thing for me. And I think that that is an ongoing, continuous cycle, you know. Why is developing a relationship with your ancestors important? Zakiya, why would you, why, what would you tell someone? Why is it important? I think 
developing a relationship with your ancestors is important because it's going, well, one, it's who you are. Like, it's literally who you are. Um, you are just from a science perspective, genetically, this is the blood that runs through your veins. These are, this is who you are. But also I think that we don't, we don't look at how those people are the reason. You know, those people's experiences are, especially if they've been a part of your life, what have shaped who you were to become. And so I think understanding who they were and having a relationship with, with those people helps, to, helps you to, one, understand who you are, but also helps you navigate the world. You know, because you come through them and you're a part of this, this chain of existence, if you will, um, understanding where you've come from and maybe what you've been sent here to do. Um, is that much more important, um, and it it it, um, it sheds light on the on the journey. You know, if you depending on what you believe, I believe that we are um, spiritual beings having a human experience, and so in my in my human experience, um, these are understanding these people that I came from helped me to understand why I'm here, what work I need to do in this life, but also just understand who I am as a person, um, why I feel certain things from certain things, why I have certain kinships or affinities toward, you know, one thing or the other. And so I think um, the relationship with your ancestors is, is very much central to who you are as a person. Um, and I think I you see it often with people who, um, perhaps has been adopted, where there is a thing where they're missing that connection. There's a, there's a part of them, and they even say, you know, they're missing something or they feel like um, they, they have a yearning to reconnect with whoever their family was so that they can understand who they are. And so I think that that's what it is. I think that it's an understanding of who you are, what you've come to do, or maybe even why, right, you know, when you have a better understanding of your ancestors, when you're connected to your ancestors, then you understand what your mission is or, or why you um, had certain experiences because they're not, all those things are related and interconnected. And finally, what would you say to inspire or encourage others who are interested in cultivating a spiritual relationship with their ancestors? Um, the first thing that I would say, um, is good for you. Um, I think that building that relationship, the value of it cannot be underestimated. And so good for you first and foremost. The second thing that I would say is, um, look around for, or, or ask people that you trust, um, for, qualified elders, right? Um, a lot of people will tell you that, they're, that they do a thing or that they know a thing. Um, find, find qualified elders to help guide your path because it's easy. Just because it's African spirituality doesn't make it immune to 
um, any of the ills that we see of man and other things, you know, just like you have bad preachers or you have bad, uh, uh, I forget what the uh, imams, you know, in Islam, Mm -hmm. you know, there are, there are people who are not good or are not of good character in all things, you know, and this is your journey. These are your ancestors. And so you do get to choose. So I think finding qualified um, qualified elders to help navigate the path cannot be underestimated. But also, like, listen to yourself because sometimes we're looking for somebody to give us, you know, this grand aha moment and, you know, these big, you know, flowery spiritual experiences. But sometimes – like that itch for fried fish and spaghetti, <laughs> you know, that's mm-hmm. the, like, we don't recognize, we don't recognize how our ancestors speak to us all the time because we think it's going to be some big major other thing when really it could be, you know, mm-hmm. I cannot shake the taste of, you know, fried, you, you know, it. You hit that fried fish because I just had like three pieces yesterday. I'm like, I don't even eat fish like that. I don't, you know. See, <laughs> and I just fried I'll fish and spaghetti. <laughs> yeah, I, so I, it I, might, so it might, <laughs> that might have been yes. somebody saying, "Hey, bring us some <laughs> fish." That's right. <laughs> and I, I did, and I did, I did. <laughs> so yeah, you're right. The way that's that they powerful. speak to us come in, in different ways, or you right. know, yeah. So th- those will be the things. Listen to yourself, and if something somebody is telling you doesn't resonate with you or doesn't feel right, don't do it. That's right. Yes. Don't do it. Yes. Thank you so much, sis. It's been my pleasure, oh, sis. Yes. A devotee of African spiritual traditions for almost 20 years, Zakia credits her faith and early introduction to Ielode Toki Okunwale in Greensboro, North Carolina. More so, Zakia commends her journey in the Yoruba tradition with providing her with the tools to help her family navigate healing and break generational curses. This week's scripted wisdom echoes the theme of healing generational trauma and standing firmly in the power of our ancestors' love. Our ancestors knew that healing comes in cycles and circles. One generation carries the pain so that the next can live and heal. One cannot live without the other. Each is the other's hope, meaning and strength. Gemma B. Benton When we heal ourselves, we heal the next generation that follows. Pain is passed through the family line until someone 
is ready to feel it, heal it, and let it go unknown. If we break the chain of addiction, violence, or other inherited limiting beliefs, our children and their children and those who follow them are given access to possibilities not available to the ancestors. And thus, the entire lineage evolves. Dr. Judith Rich. Thank you.